Disarming the enemy is the title of my message this evening. Uh, Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. And we'll start reading down verse number 26 in just a moment. Disarming the enemy. If we're going to have unity in our church, if we're going to have unity of the fellowship, we are need to combat the enemy, right? Because he doesn't want unity. He wants disunity. He wants chaos. Uh, and things of that nature. So we need to understand that we are trying to disarm. Uh, the Lord has defeated the enemy. Amen? Satan's a defeated foe, but he's still fighting, and we need to uh, watch out for some things. Uh, and in the next few Sunday nights going forward, there's going to be some things I'm going to kind of bring to our attention and watch out for and things of that nature. And uh, I have watched uh, lots of documentaries on soldiers training and how they disarm the enemy in close quarters. We had a, a former police officer that attended the church that I grew up in. You know, when you're like 15, 16, like you really think you're something, don't you? Who's 15, 16? You're going to tell me that, right? Uh, you really think you could do anything. And I remember coming up to uh, Mr. Lindemann, and uh, he used to be an officer, police officer, and I, I knew it, and we were joking around as good friends with him things, and I was trying to take him down. In, not in the church auditorium, no, we were in a place that was appropriate, and he would just take my finger, and I was just crying uh, within 30 seconds. He's like, you foolish little boy type of thing, and I'm much wailing and crying for my mother and things of that nature. And he just knew how to disarm and things of that nature. They were trained to do that, and I've watched police officers disarm someone so they're no longer a threat to anybody, including themselves. And uh, we need to understand that we are in a battle, and we need to disarm. We, we physically can't take away all the weapons that Satan has. We can't do that. Uh, but we certainly can make sure in our own lives he's not getting the victory. And uh, I think you're well aware that there's some serious enemies facing our homes and marriages tonight. There's lots of them. And uh, there can be no doubt about it that the institution of the family that God has created, the enemy is against. He hates it. Uh, he hates any relationship that's based on biblical truth, uh, any relationship that will bring honor and glory to the Lord. He, but Satan disdains the home. But, you know, he hates it. And he wants to see all families destroyed. He, that's his desire. Uh, I, I remember a few years ago, I heard about uh, in B.C. highest court that there was a, uh, there's a polygamous town out there and they were trying to legalize polygamy. From what I understood, it did not pass the court uh, bench, which I'm glad to hear, but the biblical family is under siege. You know, and the biblical family is a husband and a wife. Amen? Husband and a wife, man and woman. That's a biblical marriage, a biblical family. And, uh, and those, these enemies are outside the, our home tonight and they're kind of banging and uh, on the door trying to get in and destroy. But, you know, sometimes the enemy that's within is the greatest threat. He's not trying to beat the door down. Rather, he's already amongst us. And the enemy that I want to look at a little bit this evening is anger. Unresolved anger. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 26. 
But be, uh, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good they may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good uh, to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. But be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake have forgiven you. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for this time we have to look in your word. And I pray, Lord, that the message this evening would encourage our hearts to remove and disarm the enemy of anger that we'll look at. Uh, Lord, we need to be careful of what's in our heart, what's in our life. And Lord, I pray you be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's nothing wrong with being angry. It talks about that in the very first verse we read here this evening. Be angry and sin not. So you can't be angry and not sin, but the idea of angry then is I'm angry at sin. I'm, I'm, I'm not happy about what has sin has done. And, uh, and sin, anger is never directed toward a person, it's towards sin. Okay, anger towards a person could lead you to do some really bad things. We need to understand that our anger needs to be directed at the right thing. In a, in a, any, any mature Christian couple will acknowledge that on the road of marital intimacy and, and bliss, there will be conflicts and there will be trials. But the proper handling of the conflict, the problem, will bring a greater level of confidence in the Lord and in one another. Now, without the Lord, we're in big trouble. We need the Lord to be involved in our marriages. Uh, just to go doing it on our own, we're going to get ourselves in some really nasty messes. And, and so, a, a mature Christian couple will tell us about that. And you know, I have met, and I know you have seen mature Christian couples, and they are a blessing to you. Amen? You see them, you know, in their 60s and 70s and 80s. You're like, they're such a blessing. And you kind of say, I want my marriage to be like that. Maybe you're in your 40s. Like, I want to be like that when I get older. Well, it takes hard work. That's what they'll tell you. And so it's a blessing to those behind you. And it's a great example to children. Amen? Our children in our church, outside of our church, where do they see examples of good marriages? Not on TV. No, no, they need to see it here. They need to see it in action. And we're, we need to be the examples of it. Uh, I, I, I don't know where I found this outline. I cannot say it's my own. I found it somewhere. I do not know where. And if you know where I got it, you can tell me after, okay? And I'll give credit to whoever it was. But I found it a long time ago, and it's a really helpful outline. And uh, there's lots of illustrations, lots of thoughts for you to bring home. There's five primary internal causes of conflict in marriage. You probably could add more to that. But there's five in particular. Immaturity is number one. I don't have that on the screen, but you can write some notes if you like. Immaturity. That means growing up. And it's usually the guys who got a problem with that. All right, we just need to grow up. That's a, it's usually a guy thing. So immaturity is one. Self-centeredness. One or both spouses' views life is all about them. Now, we we need to understand that uh, it's not about anybody but the G, but Jesus Christ. 
And we need to be living our life in that fashion. So we need to get away from uh, self-centeredness. And just a little thought here. If, if you're dating someone right now and you're like, hey, I think I can change him or her. It's not going to happen. It's not. If anything, the way they are now, it's going to get worse. <laughs> My wife's probably turning red right now. <clears throat> She's thinking about me. But anyway, you're not going to change them. You know, the only person who's going to change them is Jesus. You know, you are not the instrument of readjusting them. That's the Lord's business, the Lord's work. So if, if you're thinking, well, you know, he's, he's okay 90% of the time, don't marry him or her. Okay, the other 10% will soon grow and it won't be nice. So just stay away from that self-centeredness. Uh, that's a, that's a internal cause of problems. Desire to control. Now I understand that in the home there is proper leadership, amen? The Bible lays it out for us. But it's not a dictatorship. There's a difference. There's a difference. Uh, my wife is my helpmate. She has helped me much. It would be very unwise for me not to heed her advice, her thoughts, and areas where I do not know she has directed and helped. And I was like, okay, that's a great decision. Let's do it. Let's go for it. It would be very unwise to think that you got it all under control. That's not even biblical. Okay, there's a proper, uh, you know, chain of command, proper leadership. Desire to control is a problem. Pride. That kind of goes with desire to control. Uh, Proverbs 13.10, only by pride cometh contention, but with a well-advised is wisdom. You find a proudful person, you're going to find contention, aren't you? It's not a home that you're going to want to be a part of. And then the last one is fear or self-protection. Fear of being hurt. And uh, through the ministry... I, as the ministry I've been in, I've you know counseled with people, and this one is one that I'm seeing more and more is just that lack of trust and questioning every action, every word that's said, uh, and it, it roots back to fear. And the Bible says that God's not given us the spirit of fear, but power, love, and sound mind. So we need to be trusting the Lord. So that that's some things that we need to watch out in order to disarm the enemy. First of all, we must refuse anger. We must refuse anger. Someone come to you, ever bring to you a um, pot of soup and you say, no. You're refusing, right? You I mean, you're being polite about it. No, I don't want any of that. Or maybe someone's brought you some trying to, maybe it's the door. You open the door, sir, I want to sell. You refuse, don't you? And that's the same thing we need to do with anger. We need to refuse it. Uh, refuse to harbor it in verse number 26. But be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. When the problem of anger comes into our hearts, we need to watch out or into our lives. We need to be very careful. Uh, and there's different types of personalities that we have as individuals. There's some people who will pursue a situation. There's a problem. They'll pursue it until it's all taken care of. And then they're good. And then there's others who just kind of dwell on it. They don't get it solved. They just kind of stew in it. You know what I'm talking about? Something bad happened and they stew and they stew and the other one's like, is everything okay? Yes, it's fine. 
And, you know, as soon as that, you know, you know that's not fine, but they're just stewing on it. They, they won't get to the point of taking care of that. And, and if that's the kind of person you are, and we're all different, right? We're all uniquely different. There's not one person here the same. So any, every one of us is a little bit different. We need to watch out. If that's who we are, if that's their tendency, we need to watch out because anger can find a place in our heart pretty quick if we like to stew on things. Think about it and analyze it. Think about it and overanalyze it. Think about it and do all that kind of stuff. We need to watch out for that. No, I went uh, because anger is very dangerous, folks. Very dangerous. I went to school with some people who, if I met them, uh, have met them recently, who got on drugs and involved with alcohol and get horrible lifestyle and did some really bad stuff. And you know, today they're not the same as they were 20 years ago. Drugs, alcohol, whatever they were involved with, has altered them. They are different. If you grab hold on to anger, it will alter you. You will not be the same. Because that's the effect that sin has on our lives. It'll change us. You know, sin won't take away our salvation or anything of that nature, but it will affect us in a very negative way. It will alter who we are. And we, the Lord doesn't want that to happen. He wants us to be the best servants we can be. So we need to refuse to give it a harbor. We, re- we need to refuse to give har- uh, anger a safe uh, haven. No, no, no. Just like that guy comes knocking on your door. Maybe you don't even open the door. You just peek through the window and you see him and you close the curtains again. Like, I'm not answering that. So should we not answer when we know anger is at our door wanting to get in. We need to refuse to help Satan. Uh, verse number 26, neither give place to the devil. 2 Corinthians 2, 10, 11 says, To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything, to whom I forgive it, for your sakes forgive it I in the person of Christ. Lest Christ, or lest Satan, sorry, should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Satan wants to get in and make chaos in your home, in your marriage, in your family, in your relationships, in our church. You get the picture? He wants to cause that. And we need to refuse. We will not give place to the devil. That verse 27 is very plain. It's very easy to understand. Neither give place to the devil. A scholar once said uh, about anger, it's wise to remember that anger is just one letter short of danger. I thought that was a great statement. Just one letter short of danger. You get angry, you get anger in your heart, you're in danger. Unresolved anger, and I have seen this in the ministry, will feed and fuel other sins. Because I get angry at somebody, I'm going to get them. Or I'm going to tear them down with my words. So that's the wrong kind of speech, the wrong type of actions. It will fuel. It's it's like pouring gasoline on a fire. It'll consume even way more than the person who's pouring the gasoline out wanted to do. And you go to bed at night with anger in your heart, my friend, you are sleeping with the enemy. If you're allowing anger to stay in your heart, not getting taken care of. You need to take care of it. Some other responses, ineffective responses to to conflict in marriage. Failure to acknowledge the problem. We all have problems. Don't need you to say amen because I know it's true. We all have problems. So the idea is denial. So I'm going to use a very funny illustration here. 
I have a snoring problem. If my wife tells me, you're Mark, you're snoring, I'm like, no, honey, I am not snoring. Well, that's a useless denial and does not help anything, does it? Because Michelle will be very mad and probably throw pillows at me or tell me to go somewhere else and sleep. Proverbs 28.13 says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whosoever confesses and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Now, I cannot confess and get over my snoring problem, but the idea is that you, if there's an issue, we need to take care of it. Denial does not change anything. It, it makes it worse. It does not bring an end to the conflict. If I deny it, it will cause more problems. Uh, withdrawal from real relationships, number two. Withdrawal from real relationship development. There is a problem or there's a situation, but I'm not going to invest my time in getting it taken care of. I'm just going to let it be. You know, you know what the common response is? And I've counseled with people is, oh, I'm so busy. Yeah, you're so busy, you don't want to get this right? This is really important. In the realm of marriage and then in the realm of other areas, we need to watch out for it. We need to be seeing development and going forward. Ignoring the significance of the conflict. We're okay. We're good. I'll be honest, gentlemen, I've heard that more from men than anybody else. The ladies aren't so quick to say we're good. They're like, no, we're in trouble. And the man's like, oh, no, we're fine. We're good. Because that's just the way we're made. Okay? We, we think we can get it all figured out when we do not have it figured out. Or we can, number four is we spiritualize the problem. Oh, the devil's fighting us right now. Well, that's true. He is. But that doesn't solve the problem. Right? I mean, just if I had a problem, I'd say, oh, the devil's attacking me. Okay. But how are you going to solve the problem? How, how are we going to overcome the situation? Keeping score, number five. Oh, do not keep score. Don't hold grudges. Uh, I've seen that hurt, and that's just not in the marriage realm, but all kinds of relationships, friends and kids and families. Don't keep score. Now, for me, it's really easy because I can't remember. I'm keeping score? <laughs> What's happening? You know, it's easy for me to forget uh, just because God's designed me that way. I've got a real good forgetter, okay? But, you know, the idea is that we're not holding grudges. That's not the way we're supposed to be doing it. And then when there is a problem, we confront the problem. We do not attack the person. Okay, that, that's number six. The verse in 26 of our... Scripture this evening tells us that we can be angry and sin not. So, take care of the problem. Look at the problem. Not attack the person. Blaming someone else is an ineffective way to take care of conflict. Blaming someone else. I read a statement this week. is uh, something along the lines of the business realm that uh, when I see that guy who I'm kind of chewing out and he's smiling, that's because he's found someone else to blame. The guy smiles like, yeah, no problem. I'm going to blame that guy. Aren't we good at the blame game? Say, no, it's not my fault. It's that person's fault. That, that person did it. I mean, we got records of that back in Genesis, don't we? She made me do it. Does anyone remember that story? Adam and Eve. Hey, we need to watch out we're not playing, playing the blame game. No one wins in that game. There's no, it's not helping anything. And the desire, to win at any cost. So the idea of I have to be right. I have to win. So a few years ago, uh, I was visiting my friend Pastor Seely out in uh, Carbonier, 
and he bought some tickets to go to a hockey game. Now, Pastor Seeley is a very outgoing individual. You think I'm outgoing? He's way more outgoing than me, okay? And uh, we went to the hockey game early. We're chatting. We're talking, having a great time. And he sees one of the the workers at the stadium walking around looking for volunteers to play a game at halftime. Well, Pastor Seeley's thinking, 3,000 people are watching me. Let's do it. And he bought the tickets. We needed two players on player number two. So second period comes. I mean, I'll be honest. I never really enjoyed the game because I knew I was going to get in front of 3,000 people and do something. And he's he's relishing in it. He can't wait to do it. So we get there. And I forgot to tell you, Pastor Seeley likes to win at any cost. He's really competitive. So uh, we get out there and uh, it's playing tic-tac-toe. So Pastor Seeley's got to shoot a puck into the net. And every time he gets the puck in the net, I have to go get a, an X. And then as I'm running back, i got to find out where I'm going to put that X to make the tic-tac-toe, you know, make it work. I never realized the blue line is so far away from the inboards. The first time I was okay. second time I was losing a lot of wind. The third time I thought I was going to die. And so I'm coming in and we win. I get the final one. We win. Yay, yay, yay. I can't talk for an hour because I'm <laughs> doing this. I mean, I'm, I remember my wife phoning me. She goes, how you doing? I'm like, oh, okay. And he was so happy. I'm like, you didn't do anything but shoot a puck. I had to run like, felt like I'm 3,000 miles. You know, and he was so happy. And we got these hopeless junk prizes. I was so upset. I mean, the next three days, my lungs were still hurting. I thought to myself, that is the worst thing I've ever done in my life. But I won. The illustration is, sometimes we think, I gotta win no matter what. No. That's not what this is about. Winning at any cost does not bring unity, does it? We're in this thing together. Work together. You think you might have won, but you really lost. It's not about that. Uh, you know, the last one in this uh, ten effective, ineffective responses to a conflict. Buy a gift. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than a great treasure and trouble therewith. I read about a fellow who, he was a pastor and, uh, you know, had a little set to with his wife. He wanted to get things right, so he bought her a gift. And a little later, she told him that that gift didn't mean as much to her as the time they spent having lunch. And he gave her that gift. And then he responded or suggested, maybe I should return that gift. <laughs> and she looked at him and said, no. But the idea is of spending time. You don't buy it. You earn it. You spend time at it. That's how we take care of problems. Okay, So we need to watch out for it. We must resolve anger. Number two, we must resolve anger. We need to guard our hearts. Letter A. Guard our hearts. Verse number 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. The word grieve means to afflict with sorrow. Sin and anger grieve the Holy Spirit. When you're angry at somebody, you are literally limiting the work the Holy Spirit can do in your own heart, in your life. 
Do you want to, don't answer this out loud, but you don't want that, do you? Of course you don't. You want the Holy Spirit to working at 100% efficiency. You want things to be where they need to be, but anger will grieve and sin will grieve the Holy Spirit. And as Christians, we need to be guarding our hearts that we don't allow that destructive sin to get in there. I mean, it's bad enough that I'll be angry with another human being, but it's affecting my relationship. It's, it's putting a kink in the line with me and my Savior. That's horrible. That should not be our desire. We need to watch out for it. So we need to guard our heart. You know, I like watching the, the changing of the guards at different places. I've watched lots of videos on it in Sweden and England and different places. You know, they stand there and they're, some of them are ceremonial, but they'd still look pretty nasty. I wouldn't want to tussle with them. That's what we need to be doing. Standing on guard. You know what happens so often? We're so busy in life, we don't even realize what's happening. We don't even realize the enemy's sneaking in behind. And we need to be on guard. That's the idea of watching out. Yeah, I think, you know, in a, in a family situation on guard, moms at playgrounds, standing, looking for that bad kid that, so their kids won't be around them. They're watching. And moms can even tell just the way that the bad kid walks. Have you ever noticed that? I remember being at the park and my mom's like, you stay away from that guy, Mark. Well, Mom, he looks nice. He's bad news. And you know, she got it right every time. You know, not that I went back and checked everybody, but, you know, she was right all the time. And guarding, watching out. Guard your mouth. Verse 29 tells us, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good in the use of edifying, that may minister grace unto the hearers. The word corrupt means bad, decayed, filthy, or defiling. Now, 1 Corinthians 15.33 tells us, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. Our communication is important. And we need to make sure it's not corrupt. We need to make sure it's on the right path. And I really like that last part of that verse, verse 29, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. When you think of that minister, the idea is that it's there to help. It's there to encourage. At least that's what I hope I do for you. I'm ministering to you as the pastor to this congregation. I'm here to help and encourage. So should our words be for one another. Especially for our husbands or wives. Especially for our families. We need to look for that. Watch out how we speak. We need to keep our heart for God. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for added are the issues of life. Keep guarding that heart, right? Keep guarding it. You know, we need to be bearing, you know, and helping with our spouse's weakness. When we are, when we think that, when then that we are strong, we have to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Every spouse has weakness. I don't need to know who yours are. I know what situation in my home. I'll give you an example. You know, I love to vacuum. It's really weird, isn't it? I love to vacuum. And I actually get a little testy when my kids get ahead of me and vacuum my carpet. I love, I love vacuuming. It's weird. I love it. My wife never has to vacuum. It's not a weakness for her, but I do it anyway. 
The idea is that I do things to help my wife because I love her, and so should you do it because you love your husband or wife or your kids, whatever the case is. We're there to help. Bear the weakness, whatever that weakness might be. Seek God's knowledge. Through wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it's established. Proverbs 24.3 There's going to be things that come into your life that you do not know how to deal with. Seek God's knowledge. Notice I said God's knowledge, not Oprah's. Get in God's Word and find out what it says. Get in it and see it. I'm not saying that there's not good advice out there. We'll look at that in a second as well. Uh, but we need to know God's knowledge. Pray. 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 Need in prayer. Seek godly counsel. Seek godly counsel. Proverbs 13, 8. Poverty and shame shall be to him that refuses instruction, but he that regardeth reproof shall be honored. It is biblical to seek godly counsel. There is nothing wrong with it. Now, biblical counsel is not one where you come and you tell everybody the problems that your husband or wife has. Right? Right. So if I came through the door of the church and I saw a few fellows, guys, I can't believe it. My wife forgot the anniversary. Actually, I should reverse that, right? I forgot the anniversary. I didn't get her flowers. I can't believe it. Blah, 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 blah. You'd be like, this is really embarrassing. I'm going home now. Let's be careful how... Don't you love her? Don't you love him? You don't want to embarrass him. You don't want to embarrass her. You love him. So, hey, can I have a chat? Can we talk? I need some help. Can you talk to me? Can, can we compare notes? I don't, whatever it is. You know, seeking godly counsel does not involve embarrassing the other spouse, child, whatever it is. Keep a clean slate. Chat before you go to bed. Now, that means you have to stay awake for the chat, men. The wife just talking does not mean that you're communicating. You're just listening. I understand that's an important part of it, but we need to be talking back and forth. I love that, you know, the one nice thing about this time change is that it's later light, right? I mean, I really like that. I like to go walk for walks. And it's something I like to do with my wife. We go walk and we talk. Helps keep the clean slate. Help communicate what's happening. And highlight the positive. Talk about the positive. She handled that situation great. My kids did this really well. Uh, he did this really good. He really surprised me. That was great. It was not like, oh, wow, he really surprised me on that one. No, he really surprised me. I am so thankful. Praise the Lord. Can you be positive? Did you not get a nap this afternoon? Yeah, y'all can be positive. We need to be positive. That's going to help our situation. That's going to help our relationships. That's going to help our marriages uh, by being positive. You do not need to continually talk about all the bad things in your relationship. I understand there is and you need to work on it, but look for the positive. Can you imagine if the Lord only looked at the bad things I've done? That wouldn't be a really great relationship, would it? He loves me, cares for me. He doesn't keep bringing up the past. He says, let's go forward. It's way more uh, rewarding to resolve a conflict than it is to dissolve a relationship. It's way more rewarding. Way more rewarding to resolve than to dissolve. We must replace anger. 
number three, we must replace anger. So well, what do you replace it, right? You know, uh, in counseling classes that we went to in college, they said you need to replace. So what are you going to replace anger? You're mad. Urgh, I can't, urgh, I can't handle this. What are you going to replace it with? You replace it with humility in verse number 32. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ for God, uh, for God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Finally, be ye uh, of all one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Because that's where a lot of times anger comes from is our pride, you know. I really think I'm it. I'm the best. And folks, I have seen marriages and families totally destroyed by pride like that. Little Molly complained to her mommy. Stomach was hurting. Realizing it was lunchtime, mommy said, Oh, it's okay, uh, Molly. Uh, Mom said to Molly, Your stomach's empty. You'll feel better once you get something in it. Later that evening, pastor came by for a visit and he was, during his conversation, he mentioned that he had a headache. And Molly piped up, I have a solution. That's because it's empty. You'll feel better when there's something in it. The pastor chuckled and laughed. You know, don't think yourself something that you're not. Uh, I just, about a year, maybe a bit longer, about two years ago, I love going to nursery. Now, I'm really glad that Pastor Matt's here and he takes care of that for me. He spends a lot of energy. You're there singing. You're interacting with the, with the seniors and things, the care home. It's a wonderful time. And there's a lady there. She's been coming for years. And this one day, I'm, I'm singing as loud as I usually sing. And I sing pretty loud. Okay, And I'm singing as loud as I usually do. And I can see that this lady is not comfortable. And have you noticed that when we get a little bit more mature, we, we're not really too concerned what people think about us anymore? And she just tells me what she's thinking. You're too loud! <laughs> she said it. And um, I started laughing. What am I supposed to do? No, I'm not. No, so... Uh, I keep singing and she looks at her friend who's deaf as well and he's really loud today! And I mean, I'm, have, I'm just trying to keep it together singing a song. I mean, I don't know what the song was but I'm just about falling over in laughter. And uh, then she leans over to her other friend. I don't know if she can hear or not but she goes, I got my ears clean this week. He's really loud! I'm not making this up, folks. It happened. And I'm si- I'm standing there laughing. I mean, trying my best. To, I'm pretty sure the folks who work at the, the, the home were thinking I was going to leave and never come back. And I'm like, listen, who am I? Who am I? I mean, I we still laugh about that at dinner table sometimes when I get a little loud. My ears are hurting, Dad, or whatever the case is. Hey, humility. Who are you? I'm saved by grace. I'm a nobody. Saved by somebody. I just want to do my best. Serve the Lord. It, it, now, I understand that humble road is not always easy because sometimes you, that spirit of I'm right and I know I'm right and I, oh, if I say it, it would be so good. Don't. Because it causes more problems. Stay away from it. It takes humility to admit that you've been wrong. Right, guys? I was wrong. After the third time you've driven around that same neighborhood. Yes, honey, I missed the turn. Three times. 
know, it takes, it, 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 it brings us down. It, it isn't, it, our flesh wants to be exalted, right? Lift me up. Humility says, no, I'm a nobody. I need to be low. I guarantee you that spirit of humility is amazing attitude in repairing marriages and families and relationships. Pride will not do it. There has to be humility. With forgiveness, <clears throat> verse 32. We saw that already. Be kind one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Matthew 6.12, and forgive us your, uh, our debts as we forgive our debtors. Are you living your life with unresolved conflict? Choose forgiveness. I don't know what it is. I mean, I don't know everybody's past. I don't really know too many people's past here, to be quite honest. I don't know what's in your past, but I know forgiveness works. It works. It doesn't matter what your past has been. And some of you say, well, Pastor Alcock, you don't know how bad. I don't. But I know Christ forgave you. He took the sin of all the world. That's really bad. That's beyond our, beyond our ability to comprehend. He, he did that for you. Forgiveness indicates to us the state of your heart and a forgiving heart is a Christ-like heart. Amen? Because Christ forgives. And as we as Christians, you know, followers of Christ, we need to be forgiving. So it's, it's not Christ-like to withhold forgiveness. Well, you don't know how bad he hurt me. You don't know how bad she hurt me. You don't know how bad those kids were to me. No, I don't. But we do not, we're not given a biblical mandate where we, we can hold on to it so we can give it back to them or get a pound of flesh. No, that is opposite of the Word of God. That is a worldly philosophy. It is not biblical. Aren't you glad that Christ didn't say, I'm going to get my pound of flesh out of whoever you are today, right now? He just forgave. He just forgave. When forgiveness is sought, it should be given. If someone comes to you and says, I'm sorry, you have no business saying, let me think about it. You need to give that forgiveness. You need to give it. Right away. I'm not, just, I'm not saying there can't be a discussion about the problem and make sure it doesn't happen again. Yes, they're, they're all good things, but you need to give forgiveness. I had a pastor come preach at our church. This was years ago when we were in Newfoundland. And he told a story about how he got so wrapped up at work at church. And I, when he told the story, I, this did not happen to me, but I could see how it could happen to me if I'm not careful. He got so wrapped up in work, he forgot to go pick up somebody from the train station, some very VIP, very important person, persons, and the very important persons were his in-laws. Talk about a bad idea. His wife was able to contact him. This is long before the age of the cell phone, but was able to contact him, communicate to him the mistake. He felt horrible. He immediately rushed off to solve the situation. He immediately sought forgiveness. And both parties agreed, forgiveness, we'll never speak of it again. About six months later, he came upon his in-laws again and he said, I'm sorry. He said, sorry again. They looked at him and said, we have forgiven you. We're not going to speak of this matter again. I'm going to tell you right now, that's a pretty amazing forgiveness, isn't it? Because I'm thinking to myself, I mean, 
I, I would make, want to play that a little bit if I was the in-laws. Just, maybe just a little bit. No, we're not going to speak of this anymore. So they acted like, we forgive you. It's done. Let's move on. We don't want that to happen again, but we're moving forward. Getting it taken care of. If we're going to resolve anger, it needs to be with forgiveness. We need to get taken care of. Forgive. Move forward. We're not holding back. We're not clutching. We're not doing anything. We're releasing. We're asking God to take care of us. The God to guide us. Help us have that right kind of spirit, that right kind of language, that right kind of communication. You know, I mentioned to you earlier some of the things that are affecting our families, and they're bad. The world is coming down on us, right? The system of the world. But I really believe that we need to watch out for that unresolved anger in our homes. Because I think that's one of the hidden enemies in that could be in a home today. And I'm not preaching to one family in particular and someone didn't whisper something in my ear. No, I've seen it enough to know that it's true. And, it, and it's just not in marriages. It's in relationships and kids, and, you know, work relationships and every part of life. We need to watch out for it. We have to disarm it. We have to refuse uh, to, to let it in. We need to resolve that we won't give it place and then we'll, we replace it. We're going to take away that anger. We're going to put the Word of God in this place. This evening, in your own hearts, have you allowed anger just a little place? I hope you haven't. I've got good news for you. If you have, you can get that taken care of this evening. Amen? The Lord will forgive you. You can get forward. You can talk to someone, whoever it is, and, and, and go forward and make sure things are right. Let's make sure we're disarming the, the enemy, the enemy of unresolved anger. Let's pray.